think there's a few things that they actually make Irish engineers and Irish talent stand out. You know, I hear this directly from, you know, the CEOs and CTOs of client companies saying that what we have in Ireland, we have that uniqueness in it that we actually see problems as a real opportunity and we, we don't take the status quo as the way things should be always done. We actually can see different means of, of delivery and more importantly, we actually can bring those to fruition and implement them. Hello there, my name is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast. In this episode, we're about to dive into engineering and business development and see how both are shaping the economic landscape of the country. We'll be looking at the challenges and opportunities facing the engineering sector in Ireland, the importance of regional growth and how to future-proof your own career. Our guest is a seasoned engineer. He has 30 hugely successful years under his belt, working with some leading companies, and now finds himself as the CEO of the IDA. It's a delight to welcome Michael Lowen. Michael, how are you? I'm good, Dusty. Thank you very much. So listen, Michael, you're a qualified engineer. Just kind of set the scene for us. What strand of engineering did you qualify in? I am indeed, yeah. So my primary degree is in uh, electronic engineering, um, so straight electronics. And it's 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 funny because just last week, actually, I, I was part of the ATU launch of their Illumina network, um, where I actually studied in Sligo RTC, as it was in the day, and then transferred to fi- finish my degree actually in Galway, again, RTC. So I'm giving away some part of my of my age in, in that element. <laughs> um, but I think what, what's important as part of that is that I was fortunate that I was part of a group where, and a group of friends within uh, the college network, where actually eight of us moved, transitioned from Galway, or sorry, from Sligo to Galway. So we actually mm. saw that progression through our education system, mm. which I'm probably, you know, very thankful for that, you know, we saw it as a means of movement. Yes, we also saw it as a means of a new scenery from a social perspective, but more importantly, we, we, we were able to advance our careers. And and uh, so that's my background. And and. And I continued, I suppose, along those technical areas uh, as I looked across different aspects of, of my career and my educational, because as I've gone through, I suppose, my career, I've added other areas. For example, I was one of the first cohort that went through the um, certification at the time for uh, health and safety at work, actually through UCD, um, which was delivered remotely, if if one would think what that, that was you know, 20 years ago, which... So as, as challenges came forward in my career, I always always thought about, okay, is there an area where I need to maybe upscale or rescale or reposition myself? And that was one such, I'd done the same in project management. And then I went back to do a master's in technology management as well in NUI Gormis. So a continuous journey, I think, along, along that route. You mentioned that you did it remotely and it was 20 years ago. You know, in this day and age when we're all just so used to video calls and accessing things and, and I'm not going to the lecture, I'll get the recording and kind of all this and the, the, the notes. How was it done remotely 20 years ago? <laughs> well, how it was actually done is that it was done remotely and that it was delivered into the, what was the, the FOSS training centre in Athlone because they had the, the technology and actually the lectures were broadcast. So we actually had to go to Athlone so you physically had to, to, but it meant you didn't have to travel to, to, to Dublin, for example. And at the time I was working in Longford, so it was a 35, 40 minute track across in the morning. It was ideal. And what you had was you had a cohort then of probably 25 or 30 people in that class, all from the Midlands region, who actually could attend this lecture, which has been delivered live from, from Dublin. So we, that's where we spent our days in that. So it, it was a really good, in, I suppose, uh, initiative at the time because it, it opened up that opportunity that effectively you could do your do your studies while not having to actually move geographical location for, for the day or two that was involved on, on a weekly basis. 
So listen, after you qualified and you got into the business, did you do a lot of hands-on engineering or did you kind of go straight for, for management fairly fast? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's a great question because when, when I actually started, I started in very much in a technical role, so um, in electronics. So, and I, t- I tell this story to, to others as well, is that actually I started in the printed circuit board manufacturing business. So, and actually what we, what we produced was Pioneer Hi-Fi systems. So things that actually people now are actually coming back to again a number of generations later. So, so we actually done all the, the, the printed circuit board and, and, and circuitry and, and, and assembly for Pioneer Hi-Fi systems at the time. So that's actually where I started. So very much technically driven, you know, looking at the technology, both from, from the product perspective and also from a process perspective. And I was fortunate because I started in a company that was relatively small in scale in Ireland, you know, a couple of hundred people. So actually you were asked to multitask and do different roles. So all, all of a sudden you had to wear different hats. You had to be the technical product expert. You also had to be the process expert. You had to help with efficiencies. You had to help with improvements. And with that, I actually I suppose, started to move into more in engineering related and engineering management. And I was fortunate, I suppose, that I had took those up, that I was given those opportunities, number one. And secondly, that I was able to take them because what it, what it did then is it actually gave you experience in terms of people management, you know, in terms of, assessing projects, assessing technologies. So it brought you to a different sphere, I suppose, in terms of just a technical element. Um, and at that point then, actually, after four or five years of that, of, you know, of, of that experience, I actually moved to a very large multinational company called Nortel Networks. Large telecommunications company would be known globally around the world at that time. And if I'm honest, the few years I spent in Nortel Networks from 1999 to, to 2002, probably were the, were the years that actually f- formed me in terms of my business acumen because at that stage then I was put into a global environment, global supply chains, you know, the, if you want to call it the complexities and the politics that comes with, you know, multinationals. Um, and you had two choices. You had to learn very quickly or else you had to adopt even faster. And that's what you had to do. And I think that's where maybe the strength of my background uh, of, you know, engineering, practical, logical, you could take the technical elements, you could bring them together, you could understand how supply chain works, and then you could work with people and, and bring people with you on that journey. So so I think they, those formative years were critically important in terms of making, if you want to call it that transition from being purely technical into a managerial leadership role uh, over that period. Do you think engineers are kind of... <laughs> I don't want to say born with, but when you study it at, at college, do you think it just kind of gives you a bit of a, a systems way of thinking, which means that you were then able to handle anything from technical to people to global supply chains? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think I think there's a few things. I think the mindset of, of engineers is, you know, you're logical and you're, and you're solutions orientated as well, which I think is important. And, you know, it's a bit like there's always challenges, but the great thing about challenges is there's always a means to a resolution. Now, it may not be optimal, but you can, we can always get there. And the question is how we get there. And I suppose what you learn and what I've learned through my career is that solutions don't come in one form and they certainly don't come just being a technical solution or a process solution. They more than likely have a whole of business requirement and that and that involves, you know, being human-centric, people-oriented. So, the, the, you know, that's where probably from an engineering discipline point of view, and I think thankfully we've probably seen more of that happening through our engineering courseware and education over the last number of decades is making sure that there's that connected piece in terms of how you actually make this work for people, for the workforce, for the business, over and including the technical aspects are so important. And it's something I think that, you know, uh, I can speak for myself, 
as an engineer, everything was about, and you were very much technically driven, those softer skills, those that acumen from a business perspective are so, so important. And I think the more you can hone that and couple that with your technical expertise, that's a formula for real success and for real growth and progression. Well, listen, speaking of success, you, you are the book stops at your desk in the IDA. That's a big organisation to be a, a part of. Earlier in the series, I was talking to Leo Clancy. I'm sure you're aware of him. He's another engineer. He's the CEO at uh, Enterprise Ireland. You're kind of similar, but you're completely the opposite. Can you just describe the differences between Enterprise Ireland and the ID? Because we all hear about them every day, but yeah, it can be course. confusing. Yeah, well, of course, Leo is a good, is a, is a former colleague here of IDA as well. So I've worked with Leo and, and know Leo very well and uh, really, a really good guy. So I suppose from, from IDA's perspective, we focus on foreign direct investment. So the companies we engage with are all foreign owned. So it's it's our role to go and first of all, to attract them to Ireland and the benefits of coming to Ireland and then to help them to sustain and grow here and diversify their business and so forth. Whereas Leo and, and his colleagues in Enterprise Ireland are exclusively focused on indigenous Irish companies, helping them to grow startups and indeed to globalise. So so if you want to call it, we, we're both part of, of the Department of Enterprise and, and Trade. Um, so we sit in the same parent department. There's a lot of crossover between us and collaboration between us, but we're very clear in our focus in that Enterprise Ireland is indigenous and we look after the FDI side. And then, of course, how we can actually merge those two elements together in terms of spillover in terms of global sourcing. So, for example, there's lots of, of excellent indigenous Irish companies that are now embedded in and are core to multinationals in terms of their supply chain and no more so than in the engineering space, you know, and we look at whether it's in terms of construction, design, delivery of product and process, you know, all are in, ingrained with 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 really excellent uh, Irish indigenous companies across not just the FDI companies here in Ireland, but across our global networks, which is which is incredible to see. I think when you're thinking about foreign investment uh, into this country, uh, the brands that come to mind are Apple and it's Meta and it's Google and it's all of the big uh, tech companies from around the world, but primarily the States. Uh, what kind of other sectors invest in Ireland? Yeah, so, so, so you're correct. We, we have three sectors, actually, or four sectors, which, which are predominantly, as was very heavy investors from an FDI perspective. So, so technology is one. So, you know, that ranges from, you, you mentioned Apple at, at, at one level, you know, to Intel, um, you know, which are a significant investor and capital investor in Ireland. So, so it ranges from everything from hardware and software, you know, to, to on cloud, the big service providers across the telecoms industry. So you have that whole gambit from a technology and consumer and content, you know, the large platform companies. The other area then, of course, that we have a very strong sector in as well is international financial services. So so I think the establishment of the IFSC in, in Ireland, you know, was 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 groundbreaking and was for you know, that was great foresight at the time of the Irish of the Irish government to actually have an alternative to London and indeed to Frankfurt. And we've seen the benefit of that in terms of what the, the industry that we've grown here, that that Ireland now is, is a real location of strength for, for international financial services. The third sector obviously then is life sciences and, you know, that's biopharma, pharma uh, and medical device, you know, massive, you know, uh, and, you know, in terms of its investment, both in terms of capital, its regional spread, it's in virtually every county in Ireland has a life sciences, either company or sub-supplier associated with it. And then they're highly innovative and, and invest in, in strong R&D and, and are really good collaborators. And then I suppose our, our fourth segment then is what we call our high value engineering segment. So that can vary from anything from automotive industry 
to, you know, Leaper, you know, producing large cranes from Ireland. So you have a very broad, diverse of engineering companies that sit in that. But the key to them is that, that they're all innovative based, looking to the future, looking to to establish their R&D centres here as well. I'm delighted to hear that one of them is high value engineering sector. Not that I'm hanging my hat anywhere in particular, but can you give me an example from the last, whatever, six months or a year of, of a project that came in? Yeah, so, so we've, we've had a few. Um, so if, if, if you look at Lufthansa in, in Shannon actually bringing in a, a significant MRO activity there in, in terms of, of, of servicing, we've had quite a few actually supporting, as I mentioned, the semiconductor industry as well, which is growing and, and obviously growing uh, you know, across Europe. And if you, if you look at the sub-supply base that, that exists for the life sciences industry, you know, we're world-leading companies here supporting, as I mentioned earlier, not just the Irish sites, uh, but internationally supplying those sites with, with our products and services. And that's been key. So we've been very fortunate in Ireland to be able to attract and support and maintain those, those entities here. On the opposite then of success, you know, because it's not all easy, what kind of challenges does the IDA face then when it comes to securing investments? What are the problems you encounter? Yeah, so the landscape for FDI is is intensely competitive. And, you know, some, sometimes that can be hard maybe for, for everyone to understand is that, you know, when we go to compete for an investment in the sectors I, I, I mentioned, the reality of it is, is that in most cases you have competing geographies and, um, you know, in the four corners of the world looking to win that same investment or to, um, to, to seed those investments in, in, in their jurisdiction. So, so at an international level, the competition actually has, has probably intensified over the last 18 months or 24 months. And in particular, that's how's that manifesting itself. It's manifesting itself in, in the context of the industrial policies now being adopted both within the US, within Europe as well, and indeed in the Far East, has altered. So we're seeing a higher percentage, I suppose, of incentive being offered in certain circumstances. And we, we've seen that through the, um, the IRA Act in the US, through the CHIPS Act that's been proposed in Europe. So that landscape has certainly changed. I think from an Ireland perspective, we need to be conscious of that uh, as well. Of course, if we look locally then, we have to look at it as you know, our own, you know, we, we, we have been very successful for the last decade plus in terms of FDI and in terms of, in terms of economic prosperity in Ireland in general, our population is growing, you know, our enterprise base, both foreign and indeed indigenous have grown. And that leads us to, I suppose we have, if you want to call it the, the challenges of success and those challenges as, you know, they're well documented, you know, our housing capacity, our infrastructure capacity to meet future growth. They're key elements that we have to continue to address and make sure that we have adequate plans in place for the next generation of, of investment. Well, I mean, the housing crisis, as you said, is one of the things. How do investors, when they're looking at Ireland, because you need to house workers, they need accommodation, and it's so hard to find these days. How do, how do investors look at those things? Yeah, so, so I think what we're seeing from, from investors is they're very aware of, of, let's call it, the carrying capacity that Ireland has. But they're also very aware of the commitments from the state and from government in terms of resolving some of these elements. So, so you mentioned housing and, and when we look at housing, for example, and even, even today's numbers, I think from, from a number of commentators show that, you know, we are going to break the 30,000 completions this year, which is really, which is really positive. The housing for all strategy is, is certainly key to that uh, and having that all of government approach. And as I said previously, I think what we're seeing now is an acceleration of, of that delivery. Because 
as we see with our investment base at the moment, they're, they're making decisions based on the next three, four and five year cycles of growth. And the housing for all strategy is, is, is really starting to show its momentum now. And I think that's given credibility to our offering. And even if we look at the last number of weeks, the number of announcements and investments that we, we've, we've had publicly announced you know, verifies the fact that, you know, there's trust in the Irish system that we can deliver when we commit to delivering in terms of infrastructure, such as true housing, that we will, that, that will follow through. And I think that's what investors are confident on. There's a trust that Ireland will actually meet those demands. Do you think that engineering as a subject in itself is an issue? Well, not an issue, but is it something that investors specifically consider about what's available here? Yeah, so, so I think you're, you're correct. There, there is actually a number of things that investors consider, but but talent, uh, you know, and the availability of STEM uh, graduates and STEM talent in particular is particularly is particularly important. And when we were fortunate in Ireland, when we look at the statistics in terms of our STEM graduates, in terms of first of all the quantum, the quality, the diversity of 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 those STEM graduates are all positives. And then we also, of course, have the added bonus of being open and attractive location for, for foreign graduates and indeed talented individuals to come and be part of the ecosystem here in Ireland. So that's a very strong proposition that Ireland has to offer. And in some cases, almost a unique proposition that that isn't replicated around the world. And as I said earlier, we're fortunate in Ireland that if we look at the engineering disciplines that we have in Ireland, those core engineering disciplines that we have here are world renowned in terms of the quality, in terms of delivery. And some of the, the companies that we have here, you know, delivering not just here in Ireland, but delivering internationally, that is a unique element. And I think in the last two decades in particular, you know, f- from my time in IDA, that's been a marked, I suppose, differentiator between our proposition that was a decade ago to what our proposition is today. We in Ireland are seen to be leaning at the front edge of that technology, of that innovation, of that deployment. And I think that comes down to the skills base that we have. And within that, I think, is the engineering resources that's available to us. And what is it, do you think, that makes Irish engineers stand out? I think there's a few things that actually make Irish engineers and Irish talent stand out. Number one is, I think we have an inherent um, curiosity and we always want to strive to deliver and to improve. And, and you know, I hear this directly from our client companies, our, our you know, the CEOs and CEOs. CTOs of client companies saying that the work, the workforce in Ireland is unique in terms of their ability to take complex issues and to deliver them, you know, in a very simple matter, actually. So it goes back to that earlier thing we talked about being solutions orientated. And I think what we have in Ireland, we have that uniqueness in it that we actually see problems as a real opportunity and we, we don't take the status quo the way things should be always done. We actually can, can see different means of, of delivery. Uh, and more importantly, we actually can bring those to fruition and implement them. And I think that's what really sets Ireland apart in terms of that, if you want to call it, that human capital and that intellect that we have from from an engineering and a process perspective. Quality people then might sum it up, but quality people come with quality price tags. How yeah. do we make ourselves competitive on the on the financial side? Yeah, so, so you're correct, you know, Quality you know, doesn't, it's, it's not about being expensive. I think there's a cost associated with quality and that cost brings value. And when, when we look at, you know, if we think about the, the workforce and the activities that's happening in Ireland, you know, we have some, we have products, everything from, if you want to call it almost disposable consumer products that are manufactured in Ireland, but are manufactured 
highly automated, digitized. So therefore the unit cost is controlled and managed. So so that's where technology can come to the fore, where expertise can come to the fore. And I think as well, the, the other side is remember that, you know, talented people bring new innovations and new products to market as well. So so you have that balance between, you know, it's, it's value versus cost. But you're also right, you know, we also have to be mindful of competitiveness because I'll go back to my earlier conversation. We have to compete. And, you know, not just Greenfield's investments are competed for. Every investment is competed for, whether it's an expansion, whether it's a new mandate, all of those have to be competed for. So therefore, competitiveness and maintaining our competitiveness and and productivity is key to that. It's a really good point. And I'm going to ask you this about the perspective of somebody who's working in engineering and they're looking at their salary or they want to move up the ladder or something like that. Instead of looking at the dollar cost or the euro cost or whatever it happens to be, should you be kind of thinking about, well, what is the value that I'm bringing rather than the price? So what, everything you were saying there, does it apply just as much to the human being? Well, you know, I think, let's be honest, our, our good friend, our Excel spreadsheets will only measure in one dimension, <laughs> which is cost. You know, and we all, we, we're all familiar with that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we all could be subject to that. In fact, I might have done it myself on a few occasions. But that's one measure, right? And when we go back to it, like, you know, so we as Ireland, and let's be honest, we've moved, as I said earlier, you know, our, our proposition in Ireland is very different now than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Our proposition is based on innovative products, innovative people, delivering high quality and therefore bringing high margin and value to your business. And let's be honest, that doesn't come for free, nor should it. I think there's a value in that. And I think that's what you, we have to assess and, and, and be conscious of is that, that ultimately where that actually, if you want to call it, where the, that rubber hits the road for industry is when you see the investments and you see the scale of investments and the, the brands that are investing in Ireland, it doesn't matter whether you're in life sciences or in technology or in financial services, you know, those brands are investing here because they see value creation, they see impact. And more, more so as well, as remember, is that they're also seeing, you know, leadership skills that they are developing in Ireland and leading from Ireland being deployed across their, their organizations globally as well. So, so value comes in many different forms. It's not just product and service. It's also people, it's leadership and it's delivery as well. I've noticed that myself in that, you know, kind of there's certain customers who are kind of, they're watching the pennies or particularly when you're looking at a business to consumer kind of stuff like, you know, but when you're dealing with large brands and large multinational companies, I don't want to say that they're, they're not penny pinchers, but it doesn't mean that they are flahunuk with it, with, with their cash. They do watch where they're spending it, but they do value, value. Strange sentence, but I, I get what you're saying. No, <laughs> and, and I get what you're saying. And, and Greg, I'm, I'm not saying that, that, that they're, they're, they're going to um, spend every dime they have, right? Of course they're not. not. Yeah. Do that, yeah. right? But, but there's a difference between cost and value. And yeah. I think once, if, if you end up being on the cost argument, okay, that's, that's never a good position, no matter who you are there or you where go. you are. You have to be on the value side. And so the question is how we bring value, what that value looks like how you monetize it, how you deliver it. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I'm hoping people might think about after listening to the uh, the podcast. And, and and kind of continuing then on that trend, think, trend, thinking about people's careers and stuff like that, do you think we need more emphasis on upskilling and continuous learning within engineering? I, I would think so, yeah. And to be honest, I could say this from a point of my own experience. You know, it's, it's a bit like you, you, you come through an engineering discipline or engineer or, or, or course and... No, I'm going to say this now, it might be controversial, but we tend to do a lot of hours when we're in, in, in our academic cycle, maybe in comparison to other 
others. So there's, it, it's a heavy, it's a heavy workload, it's a heavy commitment. And most people when they come out of getting their primary degree or, or whatever, are actually saying, I'm done. Thanks very much. I don't want to see another, another piece of, of textbook. But the, the harsh reality of it is, and I think what's important is if we want to evolve our, ourselves, the important thing is that there's always areas of new knowledge we can add. Like I'm, I'm not saying you have to go back and do four masters in a row uh, because I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But, but I do think there's lots of things you can add that are either, you know, to bring you personal development. And the case is, for example, if I go back to my own example, you know, I mentioned Norton Networks. As part of Norton Networks, I got an opportunity to have some personal development through the London Business School. It exposed me to elements of business models of economics, you know, which if I'm honest, I really wasn't exposed to before um, in any real sense. And that just gave me a different perspective on the world as well in terms of what makes the world tick, how things are connected together. And I would encourage anyone, no matter where you are along your career, and in fact, I'm no different today than I was 10 or 15 years ago, I have to continue to be curious. I have to continue to look to where I can, I can, I suppose, add additional strengths to my offering. And, and that's something we should continue to do. And I think as a population, we may not be the strongest advocates of lifelong learning, but we certainly should be. And I certainly would, because I think as I look back myself at the moment, you know, and they don't all have to be, if you want to call it, certified, credited. There's lots of areas you can do from a personal development perspective. And of course, there's lots of other areas you can bring in, in terms of, you know, wellness, you know, um, diversity. There's lots of other elements that can complement, you know, your, your, your base skills, your technical skills, or indeed your leadership skills. So are you telling me then, Michael, that as the CEO of one of the biggest state agencies with the IDA, that you at the top there are also thinking of upskilling and continuous learning for yourself? Oh, oh I, I certainly am. Yeah. So, so, cool. so that personal development plan is important. The, the challenge, which it is, of course, for all of us is carving out the time, uh, let's be honest, to do that. And that can be a challenge and that's where you have to be disciplined, you know, and certainly that's something that I've, you know, I have to do myself is I have to set out realistically one or two elements that I can do over probably a 24 or 36 month period. I'm not going to do anything more than that. So I just need to be realistic and be targeted. Tell me about STEM subjects, because you mentioned that uh, earlier. And kind of one of the things that I hear in engineering is trying to get talent into the industry is just a nightmare. But trying to get female talent into the industry is is just crazy. Where are where do we stand from your point of view? Where do we stand with you know kind of females getting involved with STEM subjects? What's working? What isn't? Where do we stand? I, I think we're making progress, but we have a long way to go. Um, to be truthful, as the father of two daughters, I failed miserably myself. So I'm in no position to 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 give advice, despite all of that. And why is that? Um. Because, you know, again, I, I think we have to show this as a viable and open alternative. And I think, you know, and again, I can give you from my own experience on this, I think, is that that's what the challenge is. It can't be seen to be a barrier. It can't be seen to, to, for, for young girls. We have, to, we have to give, you know, positive exposure to STEM subjects earlier. You know, the biggest problem is fear or, or the thought of fear against some STEM subjects, you know. And then if you think about maths, you know, as to, you know, others, maths versus not and all those, those elements. But, you know, we have to get away from that and we have to sort of try and, and, and break down those perceptions or barriers that are there for all, right? And I think it's, it particularly can be pronounced for, for females. 
And I think that's something we, we need to do more of. Now, there is some great work happening as well. We have to recognize that. Like the Irish uh, group in terms of foundation, in terms of what they're doing, is fabulous. I, I, I attended a session, trying to think, was it pre-COVID or post-COVID? I forget, but but in Cork. And it was it was brilliant to see all of those young young students, female students, as part of, of, a, of a massive you know event in Cork where you had a multiple number of companies there showing what the opportunities were, the career progression, we need to do more of that. And I think when I say we, I think industry needs to help in that context as well. Because I think the more we can get those messages out there, the more we can show that there's a path here in terms of career, but more importantly, that there's a, a, a rewarding, fulfilling and diverse career that you can get through STEM subjects. You can design the next product that might be save a patient's life, you know, at one level, or you could create, you could be, you know, constructing a, a major a major investment project or, or infrastructure project, or indeed a component that goes into some part of, of a spacecraft. So there's everything in between in terms of that opportunity. The question is, are we telling the story strong enough, often enough, and are we showing enough of leadership to make that happen? And if I have it right, what I wish do is they're more or less kind of telling that story of STEM subjects in a positive light, specifically to young women who are coming up through the secondary system and trying to get them into third level education. That's correct. Yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, Iwish.ie is their, is their website. Absolutely check it out because as Michael says, they're doing some amazing stuff. And if you have an engineering firm, you might get involved. I mean, only good things are going to come out of it. However, Michael, I'm not going to let you off the hook because you did say that in this area, you're a failure. Why? Yeah, why? Yeah, well, it's 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 interesting. Well, I, I, you haven't met my two daughters. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, yeah, but but you know it, it, why? And like everything else in life, right? I think I can't, like I or any other parent for that matter, and I can only speak for myself, right? My kids are can't be the career that I want to be. They have to have their own career, and all I could do was try and provide them with with the options now. Now, both have actually gone into educational elements, so hopefully they might be able to bring the next generation forward in that context. But, you know, it's a bit like um, I always got that, well, you might like that or you might be good at it, but I'm not. And I'm like, well, you can be. Here's how you do it. But again, I think it comes down to the influence that you have early on in your career. And from my own perspective, I know that, that, you know, we can all remember probably that that teacher who actually helped us through and made us under, or helped us to understand ourselves physics or chemistry or maths or whatever it might be, right? Or indeed that lecture that actually, you know, it was that ha-ha moment says, now I get it, right? We have to create more of those moments, I think, for all of, of our young people and especially for females in STEM. The thing I find about uh, being a parent is that there is no book or there's no right or wrong and you just, you kind of, you don't just learn your way through it, you struggle your way through it and try and learn it's the best thing. So I like, I completely get what you're talking about, like, you know, and you can just kind of guide them and once once they're off doing whatever it is they're happy with, that's, that's the main thing. But now that you've got a little bit of experience under your belt, how would you have done it differently with your daughters to try and maybe get them interested? Would you have done anything differently? Yeah, if I'm honest, probably could have, you know, so so it maybe I could have done more, you know, outside of, let's call it the formal educational system to expose them more to the opportunity. If possibly, I suppose the other context is like, it's a bit like in my experience, seeing is probably better than, than if you want to call it teaching or preaching um, for, for the want of a better word. So I think the more we can expose Young, young, young adults to the opportunity, and I'll give you an example. For for example, I, I remember my my daughter's taking a trip as part of. I think it might have been transition year, but actually they ended up 
going to Microsoft's office in, in Dublin in Leprestown. Now, I tell you, I never heard more about Microsoft and the importance of it because they were just blown away with everything in terms of the environment. But it probably was four years too late, truth be told. That really probably needs to happen, in my view, probably earlier for, for those cohorts because they probably had too many preconceptions and, and, and thought process, but still it had a major impact in terms of just the space, what to do, the technology that they're deploying. I think the more we can expose at an earlier age, the, the possibilities and the opportunities that there is across our industry um, spheres, I think the better. I, I think there can't be a downside from that, personally. That is an absolutely brilliant point because I think transition year is an amazing year for, for anybody. And as you say, just to open you up to, to new experiences. But the fact you're saying that it's too late, oh my God, you're right. They're, they're, they're teenagers at that stage. They already know everything. <laughs> it's well, too late. They have, a good, they have a good grasp of a few things anyway. So, so yeah. But if you yeah. had that, like, I mean, if you had a year possibly between the end of primary before they go into secondary, or maybe there was something in sixth class or something like that where they were deliberately brought out on day trips to the likes of Microsoft or whatever, Correct. just to, eh, yeah. like that, that could be a it, thing. It, it, it's like the young scientist piece, you know, it's, it's the, the earlier you, you can, I think the earlier we intervene, you know, and it's not going to be for everyone, right? Let's be honest either, right? Let's, but, but, but I think the earlier we give exposure and give experience, the better chance we have of actually bringing that through, I, I would think. So, so the more we can promote that, the more that, you know, I think if, if companies are listening to this, they might ask ourselves, well, what can we do as an individual company that could, you know, tap into the six local schools around us as a starting point? And, you know, if everyone done their six local schools, before long, every school will be covered. And, you'd find that you'd have a network where things would start to move. And that's the one thing that really happens in Ireland is that momentum can happen quite quickly and connections happen very quickly in Ireland. So, you know, if 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 that was the case and we could get companies, as I say, taking on one or two or six schools, whatever it might be, we could see a change in, inside, of a, inside of a decade. Listen, I'm going to have to stop you there because you give me way too many brilliant ideas, all right? Let's, let's get back to the IDA. <laughs> One of the things that you're very passionate about is regional opportunities in Ireland and expanding outside of Dublin. Why? Why? Well, well there's a number of reasons why. Um, I, I think, first of all, from if we think about from an Ireland perspective, getting balanced regional development is critically important for us as, as a state and as a nation and as, as a culture and as a society. And, and I think we've seen the real benefits of that. And it's amazing. You, you look at the the growth of centres such as Galway. Galway is a recognised centre globally for medical device. You know, it's incredible, you know, that, 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 you know, we have, we're competing with, I mean, a soda of the world is actually, Galway is, is, is in that same, in that same space in terms of scale. You, you, you look at, you know, the Western Seabury, you look at Limerick, transformational uh, aspect that's happened in Limerick on the back of a number of key investments, both from a life sciences perspective and a financial services perspective. Has, has really revolutionized the whole West Coast and the Midwest in particular. So I think I can say the same for Sligo and say the same for Waterford in terms of those investments and, and indeed for the Midlands. So we've had really strong investment. And what does that do? It, it does a number of things, actually. First of all, if we think about what we just talked about, the next generation of talent, it gives that next generation of talent opportunity actually to live and stay in their communities. It gives that opportunity for that talent actually to be in their in their local uh, academic and, and and universities, and that's why I think the the um, 
the current scale of our universities and regional universities are so important for us as we look to the technological universities of the future. We now have clusters built across our regional areas. So like, there's multiple benefits from a societal perspective, from an economic perspective, and indeed from an enterprise perspective, because it opens up all of that skill base um, that you can make available. And of course, then there's also the fact that, you know, it keeps communities vibrant and it gives a counterbalance, as we know, to Dublin. And of course, the other elements we have to consider as well is that it makes sure then that we can use all of our infrastructure across the country, you know, in, in, in an appropriate manner as well. So there are many, many benefits accruing from, from having a balanced strategy, which we have from a, an FDI perspective. Of, of all the FDI investment last year, what kind of percentage would you say went to Dublin and what percentage went outside? Yeah, so, so we, we've set a public target actually that we over this current strategy period that we will have 800 investments in total, 400 of which will be in outside of Dublin. And we're currently tracking on or just slightly ahead of that figure. So so 50% of, of what, we're, what we're bringing into Ireland is actually outside of Dublin. And that's, a, I suppose we were probably the only agency to actually make that sort of commitment from a regional perspective. You know, so we put our colour, nailed our colour to the mask a number of years ago on that. And we've committed to that. And we've we've put our, our money as well into that investment. So we've led off with, with our property programme to make sure that we have, you know, let's call it a receiving environment that actually attracts investment as well. So, so making sure we have those business parks, making sure we have facilities ready for companies to go. So, so like, it, it's not just enough to say it, you actually have to do it. And we've led in the front from doing that as well. And that continues to be successful for us. And that could continue to be our, our focus um, over, over, the, over the next strategy term as well. Finally, Michael, if you were to look back at yourself and you were talking to your younger self, what, what advice would you give yourself as a 20 or 25 or even a 30-year-old? I'd say the advice I'd give to myself is take every opportunity that comes and to actually trust yourself. Because, you know, probably as you start your career, you have doubts as to, you know, is that the right decision or should I speak here? Or, you know, I think have trust in yourself. And I think the other thing is, you know, advice to myself is learn as quickly as you can how to how to interact and engage with others because the success, your success is going to be based on how you engage with your with your peers, how you can influence and negotiate. And I think the more you can actually hone that early in your career, the more you can benefit from it later on. Michael Lowen, CEO of the IDA and Engineer, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you, Dusty. A pleasure. If you'd like to find out more about Michael and some of the topics we talked about today, including I Wish, you'll find uh, notes and links in the show notes area of your player right now. And of course, for information on all engineering topics across Ireland and career development opportunities for yourself, there are libraries of information on our website at engineersireland.ie. That's it for our episode today. The podcast was produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Ireland. Do click the follow button on your podcast player so you get access to all our past and future shows automatically. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening.